Hey, I'm Sydney. I'll be reading the scripture for y'all today. Uh, This is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin, because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God, as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many throughout this other man, Jesus Christ. The result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. And yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God to you all today. You can take your seat. Good job. Good morning, everybody. Didn't Sydney do an amazing job reading the scriptures? How many people have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Anybody out there? Oh, yeah. A good amount. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I'll give a short synopsis for those who haven't seen it. It's a, it's a movie um, about a guy named Captain uh, John Miller, who's a former teacher uh, before World War II, and he goes, he's with the Ranger Regiment, and he goes on this mission to find a private named James Ryan, uh, whose only brothers have been killed in combat. And after finding Private Ryan, Captain Miller ultimately ends up sacrificing his life for Ryan's. There's a scene kind of at the end of the movie, um, a a really poignant, uh, violent, difficult scene um, where uh, Captain Miller has to make uh, a decision whether to preserve his own life or to stand in the gap between Private um, Ryan and the enemy force. And he chooses to sacrifice his own life. But maybe the most poignant scene in the movie is at the end when an elderly James Ryan is seen kneeling and weeping at Captain Miller's grave at the uh, Veterans Cemetery at Normandy. And he realizes in that moment that Captain Miller's sacrifice allowed him to live and to receive the gifts of children and grandchildren who were standing behind him. And I think about that movie, and I think about, like, what makes that such a powerful story? I mean, sure, the cinematography is, is amazing. Sure, the, you know, the historical event is, is a critical event in Western civilization. But the truth is that this is really a, a story of heroism and sacrifice and of love for one person for another to the extent that one would give his life up for someone. Can you think about a story like that that you love? There, there are all kinds of stories 
of heroism and, and sacrifice like that. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, A Tale of Two Cities, even Harry Potter ultimately is a story of heroism and sacrifice. And so the truth is that, you know, many of these stories that we read growing up are similar in, in, in that they involve a hero uh, who must sacrifice and overcome evil for the good of others and face many dangers along the way, but ultimately, in the end, they, prev- they prevail and secure good. The truth is that these stories are echoes of a much larger story, and it's a story that all of our hearts ultimately long for. You see, we all come into this world searching for a story that will make sense of our own story. And we've been talking about that the last several weeks, and I've been encouraging us to read Romans in that way. Not not to read it so much as a theological treatise, a set of doctrines, but instead to view it through the lens of story. That this, this reality that we're all trying to live out our smaller stories and we're all searching for a bigger story to make sense of our own lives. And so we're back in that again this week as well. Psychologist Kurt Thompson said it this way, we all come into this world looking for someone who is looking for us. And that is the ultimate true story of the world. And so uh, please turn in your scriptures with me this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I just, as always, want to encourage you to to go there um, in God's word. And we'll, um, you know, we're going to whet your appetite for what is in here today. I'm not going to be able to cover absolutely everything uh, that's contained in this passage today, but I want to encourage you, if if what you hear this morning does something in your heart, pay attention to that. And, and, And this week, maybe, you know, don't leave your Bible, like, in the car. I've done, how many people have done that? I've done that. I'm the pastor. Like, you know, you leave your Bible in the car, and you're like, uh uh-oh, you come next week, and there it is. Um, Instead, take it with you, and and at least some point during the week, open it back up and see what God is speaking to you about what we talk about today. All right, so we're going to begin in in Romans chapter 5, the verses that Sidney read, uh, beginning in verse 12. And what we see is, in verses 12 through 14, Uh, we see the story of Adam. And and what Paul is going to unpack in this entire passage is really two stories of the world. That there's first the story of Adam, and then secondly, there's the story of Jesus. And and we're going to, like, be in both of those stories today. And I want you to pay attention um, to where you're finding significance and grounding for your story and your life. So the story of Adam verses 12 through 14, the reality is that all of us are living out of one of these two stories. Now, Adam, it's interesting, in the Hebrew means human. And so the story of Adam is literally, in the Hebrew, the story of humanity. It's the story of human beings. And so if you're a human being, this is your story. And we're going to talk a lot about why that's so difficult for us to take in when we really understand the gravity of Adam's story. Why is it so difficult for us to relate to this story? Because it is oftentimes. All right, so the Hebrew word that means human is Adam. This is a story of humanity. And so Romans 5 through 12 uh, presents us with what we're going to call a chain reaction of brokenness. So brokenness that happens and, and then goes to a different place and then spreads again. I want us to pay attention um, to what's happening in verse 12. 
So the first part we see, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. So the first movement in our chain reaction is sin entering the world through one man. It was one man. He had a name. We believe that Adam wasn't, you know, a metaphorical character in a poetical literature book, but that he was a historical figure. We can talk more about that later if you want to, Um, but we believe he was a man who existed, that God created him in his own image, but that Adam had a choice, That, that part of the way that God made Adam and made Eve and made each of us is that we have volition. We have the ability to choose, and so Adam had the ability to choose, and God gave him this choice. We remember in the story of the garden um, that he was free to, 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 to roam and to do wonderful things and to participate in the life of God in paradise, but God gave him one rule. You remember? He said, but don't eat from this one tree, but he did it anyway. He had one choice to make, and he chose poorly. You see, Adam was perfectly designed to act as each of us would. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, like what would I do if I was in the garden? Maybe, how, how could that happen? How could you be in the face of Almighty God? How could you live in absolute paradise and yet still choose this rebellion? And, and I think there's this propensity sometimes to think, you know, I would have done differently. If it was me, I wouldn't have done like Adam did. But here's the deal is we're all designed in the same way that Adam is designed. And so Adam acted um, out of his humanity, and he rebelled against God. And we're told in uh, the second movement in verse 12 that when Adam's sin entered the world, but then Adam's sin brought death. And so we see that death enters the world because of sin. And this is a huge moment in the history of humanity. And, and death is something that's always in front of us. It's a reality that, particularly in our culture, we want to ignore. We don't want to think about it until we're absolutely, you know, confronted with it. But death is always a part of life. And what we read in the scriptures is it wasn't supposed to be that way, and that death entered into the story only because of human rebellion. And so we see Adam's sin brought death into the world. And, and the truth is that our world is trying to make sense of death all the time. We're trying to make sense of brokenness all the time. And the stories of the world simply can't contain it. But this one true story of Adam makes sense of it, that we rebelled and sin entered and so death entered. And so then there was this third movement. If that wasn't bad enough, we read the last part of verse 12. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. And this is uh, a really difficult teaching for us in our culture to take in. Because we can kind of understand that Adam was there with God and that Adam made a choice and that he sinned and that the consequence for that sin was death. That he wasn't allowed to go on living. And we can kind of make sense of that in our minds. But then when we get to this last part of verse 12, we see that it's far worse than that. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And this word sinned, I want us to pay attention to this. So um, I think we've talked about this before, but you know, the Bible wasn't written to us in English. I know that's really hard to believe um, that 
the scriptures were written in two main languages. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, and the New Testament in Koine Greek, which is like a people's Greek at the time. And so in the Greek text, this word sin is in something called the aorist tense. And in the aorist tense, always points to a single past action. So by using the aorist tense here, here's what Paul is doing. He's saying that the whole human race sinned in one single past action. To use a large collective noun like all with such a specific verb is awkward, and so it must be deliberate on Paul's part. And so what Paul is is saying is that um, because we were all in Adam, when he sinned, so did we. And that's a really hard thing for us to understand. And in, this, in you know, Christian doctrine, theology, this is called the idea of original sin. The idea that like, when you are born, you're not born with, like, without sin. You're born into a world of sin. You're born with the propensity to sin. Now, how many people have raised small children? Raise your hand. How many people have been a small child at some point? We all are in that boat. If you've raised a small child, and some of you are in the process of raising a child, what do you know? Do you have to teach your child to be rebellious? No. Do you have to teach your child to be selfish? No. Like, we're all born with this bent to rebellion, to not doing the right thing. We're all bent with this kind of part of us. It's a posture of, like, wanting things to be done our way all the time because in our world we want to be the center of the universe. At the center of this rebellion is, is ultimately a shame story. We talked about this last week. Shame is a, a, a really important thing for us to understand because this starts to get at the application of how all this works out in our life um, is that because we're sinful, because death is spread, because uh, death spread to everyone for everyone's sin, that also means that the hum- human experience is shaped by something called shame. And, and we go back to the beginning of the story, and if you want a picture of shame, it was right at that moment when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, did the thing that he's told them not to do, and what did they do? They went and they hid, and we keep coming back to that moment because it's such a powerful moment in the history of humanity. And when they hid, we're told that they were realized they were naked and they were ashamed. And this word ashamed, this word shame means that not just that I did wrong, that's guilt, is that I did something wrong, but instead I am wrong, that I'm fundamentally flawed. And so it is in the story of humanity, is that shame is what shapes our story individually and collectively. Now, we're all trying to find our way out of the story because it's not a good story, is it? And so there was the people, remember, Paul is writing the letter of the Romans. He's, he's writing it to two main groups of people. He's writing it to a, a group of Jewish Christians who had grown up under the law with all the Hebrew traditions, and he's writing it also to the Gentile Christians. This next part, verses 13 through 15, he's writing to the Jews, and what he's saying is, he's saying, you've, you've misunderstood your own history, You've misunderstood the law because as a people, you're doing what all people are always trying to do, which is to find a way out of the shame story, to find a way out of the narrative of Adam, 
to say, we're not like Adam, we're somehow different, and we found a different way out. And so in their narrative, the way they understood it was that they had been chosen as God's special people, given his law, and that if they obeyed the law close enough, then they would be counted as righteous. But what we've been learning through our study of the book of Romans is that the law only highlights how sinful people are. The law cannot save you. It can only magnify how broken you are. But the Jews didn't understand that. And that's what verses 13 through 15 are unpacking, is that basically um, Paul is giving a rebuttal to this idea that the Jews thought that the law, when God gave the law, that that was just a second chance story. That here's a second way out. That if you just obey these rules, then you can be made right with God and you can reverse the curse and you can be in a better story. But he reminds the Jews, as he reminds us, that it doesn't work that way because people were sinful from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. And that all people are indeed sinful. And Adam sinned, and so in him, we are all guilty. Now, I want to get at, I think, a question that's maybe underneath this teaching for all of us is, is how can this be so? How can it be that because one man sinned, therefore I also sinned? That doesn't seem to settle with us very well in Western culture. John Stott says this. He says, we cannot point a finger at Adam in self-righteous innocence, for we share in his guilt, and it is because we sin in Adam that we all die today. And that teaching sounds so strange, strange to us. Why? Well, I want to talk about uh, two main reasons why this seems really bizarre to think of sin in this way. To think that we're fundamentally flawed, because I want us to really sit with this, because if we're fundamentally flawed, then we can't find our own way out. That's what we keep teaching in Romans, that we can't find our way out by being good enough, and we can't find our way out by putting ourselves at the center of the story. And so why is this teaching that when Adam sinned, all of us sinned, and that death spread to all of us because of that original sin, I want to propose that there's two main reasons why. And they're both rooted in the way that we understand our story. And as I'm sharing these things, I want you to pay attention to, to which aspect of what I'm sharing applies to you. Like, where are you prone to, like, believe in one of these two ways out? First of all, uh, Western individualism. Western individualism says this, is we do not want to be held accountable for anyone else's decisions or mistakes because we are the captains of our own ship. We're at the center of our story. It's up to us. And many of us would hear that and say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that I shape my whole life. I know there's God. And, but we live that way. We behave that way. We worry that way. When it comes time for big decisions in our life, when it comes time when bad things happen to us, where do we go? Who are we trusting in? And it's at that moment when a bad thing happens, when we're in a crisis, when we're in a moment of decision in our life, when we're in a moment of anxiety or fear, where do we go? Who do we trust? And I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, way too often, I trust in the captain of the ship, which is Gabe Smith. And I'm captaining the boat. And maybe some of you identify with that. And so you say, there's no way that 
I could have sinned because this one man long, long ago sinned. That doesn't make me sinful. Like, I get to write my own story. But that's not what Paul's teaching here, and that's not what the gospel teaches. And so we reject this teaching because of our Western individualism. But secondly, and I think maybe even more powerfully, and this is a little bit harder to talk about, is I think that this teaching is really strange to us because of our propensity for tribalism. And, and maybe you hear that word and you think, I'm not, I'm not tribal. I'm, I'm Western. I'm civilized. I'm, you know, what, what age are you living in, Gabe? But the truth is, is that Western culture is incredibly um, tribalistic. What do I mean by that? Well, I want to, I'll, I'll read a, a quote from a book that I've been reading called Political Tribes by Amy Chua. And she says this, she says, the great enlightenment principles of modernity, liberalism, secularism, rationality, equality, free markets, do not provide the kind of tribal group identity that human beings crave and have always craved. Now, this is not a Christian writer. This is a secular writer writing about political dynamics, trying to understand the way societies function and work. And she says that all of these post-enlightenment principles of the way that we think about money and the way that we think about our society and our culture and our politics, what it is all doing is that we're, we're seeking a tribal identity that we crave and that we've always craved. And in between the lines of that, I hear one word, belonging, is that we all long to belong. We all long for belonging, to know that we fit in somewhere with some people and she goes on to say, she said, uh, they have strengthened individual rights and individual liberty. There you go, individualism again. Created unprecedented opportunity and prosperity, transform human consciousness, but they speak to people as individuals and as members of the human race, whereas the tribal instinct occupies the realm in between. And then she says this, this is powerful at the end. She says, in Hollywood movies, the only time Earth is united is when it is under attack by another species from another planet. And so deep in the fabric of what it means to be human, we have this longing to belong, and we have this awareness that we are made to be part of a group and a sense that we're made to be united against an enemy. And, and this is the, the origin, as Chua points out, of every good Hollywood story. You see, we're all trying to sort things out, the mess that we've made east of Eden, and we, and we long for the garden. We long to be in that place that the first Adam was before the rebellion happened, but the only sensible way it seems to exist in all the brokenness and chaos of the world is either to succumb to staunch individualism, where we are the captains of our own fate, or align ourselves with a tribe bigger than ourselves, with an enemy or enemies we can fight, with principles that we can hold on to. But the trouble is, for every tribe, whether ethnic, national, ideological, or political, ultimately Adam is still our representative head. And this is where the rubber meets the road, friends. Where are you trying to belong where are you getting your sense of who you are? Paul's speaking to the Jews and he's saying, look guys, you're trying to find your identity in this 
little tribe about following the law, but all along the way, that was just pointing to a bigger story. That was just pointing to a more profound reality because the truth is that we need a story that's bigger than our individual stories, and we need a story bigger than our tribal stories. And guys, this is what it means to be the church. This is literally what the gathering is on Sunday morning, that when we gather, it's not to hear sermons, it's not just to sing songs. You've heard me say, it's to stage a protest against the world. Is that we, And part of what we're saying is, we reject the tribalism of the world. We reject that our identities are primarily found in our ethnicities or our nationalities or in our ideologies, but instead we're proclaiming one true story of the world that supersedes all these smaller stories and swallows up our individual stories. But you see, in all those smaller stories, hear me, you're still being represented by Adam, a man. All of those are stories of mankind. And so what we need is a new story with a new representative who can ultimately fulfill our need to belong and make sense of our broken lives. Hear this, that the truth is it's good news that God deals with us through our representative, Adam. Because what that means in the realm of story and why that's such good and liberating news is because he also represents us with a second Adam. That there was a second Adam who came and this is the story of Jesus' life. And this is the second story and Paul talks about this in the next part of our passage in, in, in verses 15 through 21. And I'm just going to read this slowly because we don't need to preach a lot on it. We just need to take it in that this is the true story of the world. That if because of Adam's disobedience, we are disobedient to, then there was once one other man, a perfectly obedient man, a second Adam, and he would be our salvation So receive God's word to you as you hear the second story, the ultimate story of the world. Verse 15, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. And I'll just sit there for a second. Adam's sin led to condemnation. When he sinned, you sinned, we all sinned. We're all separated from the presence of the living God, but, but God's free gift, not your own goodness, not your own decision-making, but God's free gift that you just have to receive to being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater, and pay attention to that word, even greater, Think about that for a minute. The power that one man disobeyed, one man rebelled, and death spread out through all the creation. But even greater than that power is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness 
of being made right for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the power of the gospel. It's the power of the true story of the world. It's the story that we're all longing for in our lives. And as the church, we gather to proclaim it and to say, we reject these stories of the world. We reject individualism, that we are the captains of our own fate. We reject all these tribes that we can affiliate ourselves with and find political identity and ethnic identity and all these identities. And instead, we receive this even greater gift of God's wonderful grace and his righteousness. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Do you see the power of being represented? That we were all represented by Adam and felt the effects of that, but now when we receive the free gift of Jesus and his story, that what we're invited into is a right relationship with God. That's not tomorrow when you get your act together. That, that's not when you do a bunch of good things and make a bunch of different choices. That's today if you receive his free gift then what you're granted instantaneously is right relationship with God. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Amen? You see, the story of Jesus is the one true story of the world. And what it does is it has the power to overwhelm the story of Adam and all of its terrible and tragic effects upon us. The story of Adam and Jesus flows from a single act that both committed whose influence extend to, to all they now represent. And so here's the question for you. Who's representing you? Because it's a bad day if you're representing yourself. And it's a bad day if you're looking to a broken group of other human beings to represent you. But what a beautiful and glorious day when you invite the King Jesus to be your representative. You see, the story of Jesus is the second chance story. It's the story that God invites us all into and to live out of. Verse 17, so we must now receive the gift of righteousness to be represented by Christ in his story. And here's what I want to do, guys, as we're, um, we're going to close a little differently this morning. Um, the band's coming up, and I'm going to invite our prayer team to be at different places here. And I don't believe that the high point of our worship should be preaching. I think... The high point of our worship should be our response to God's revelation. That, that we're here for God to reveal himself to us. And, and that's what it's all been about this morning. And we're told that where two or more are gathered in his name, that he is present in a mysterious and powerful way. And that's the power of gathering like this as his people is that we proclaim the true story of the world until he comes again.
to make all things new. But I want to lead us this morning in a time of confession. Because as I studied this and, and read this, and I don't know what you felt as you were hearing this, but I, I felt moved to confess the, the ways in which I'm still drawn to be an individual, to be the captain of my own ship. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but it probably comes out in the places that you worry. Or maybe the way that you need to confess to God that you're rejecting his story. And this is, even if you're a follower of Christ, we're still drawn away. We f- we're forgetful people. We forget that it's not up to us. And, and maybe for you, it's, it's trying to belong to another group of people. Maybe it's trying to find a representative other than Jesus. And I don't know what that looks like in your life. I'm going to name some things. And, and what I want to invite us into as a body this morning is a holy moment. And we're just, we're going to pray. Um, the band's going to play a little bit. And, and I'm going to invite you to, you can pray where you are, but listen, sometimes we need Jesus with skin on. Sometimes we need somebody else to put a hand on us. Sometimes we don't have the words. We just say, I need you, Jesus, this morning. And if that's you, I want to, I want to say this, that I think we're driven by so much shame and so much fear. And I think that drives us, even here in this space, that we don't want to be seen as weak. And so we don't want to come forward and be prayed for, because somehow that's telling a story of our own brokenness. But listen, this ought to be the safest place in your life that you can come and that you can acknowledge that you have need. And so I just want to invite you in a minute as I start praying and leading you through prayer. If, if God's leading you, if you feel a need to be prayed for, we've got some folks up front. We've got some folks in the back to pray with you. And what I'm praying and hoping and want to lead us toward as a church is that this would become normative for us, that we get up out of our seats, that we move towards one another. Some of you might pray for each other in the seats there. But this is going to be a holy moment where we respond to what God's revealed to us this morning. So let's go to the Lord, the King of heaven and earth, this morning in prayer. And God, we just thank you. We just thank you this morning for this beautiful story that you've written. Lord, that that you weren't content to leave it at the fall. You weren't content to leave Adam as our representative that, that you weren't satisfied that death spread out through all of your beautiful creation. But Lord, we, we come to you as a broken people today, as a forgetful people. And, and Lord, there's some of us that we're still trying to captain our own ship. And, and the weight is too much. And, and we feel it in the moment of crisis We feel it in the things that we're anxious for because we're still believing deep down that it's all up to us. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to give you a moment to confess that to God. This is a moment of confession. And again, you can confess that where you are or you can get up and and move if The Lord leads you to do that, to be prayed for this morning.
And if you're confessing the sin of individualism right now, you might pray something like this, Lord, I confess that I think life is still all up to me. I confess that I'm still trying to be in charge. And Lord, I'm so lonely, so distant. My life feels heavy. And I don't know all the ways out, but this morning I just confess to you that I'm still trying to be in charge of my life. And there's a second way, Lord, that we reject your free gift, that we forget the true story of the world, is that we try to align ourselves with other groups of people that really are just other forms of being represented by Adam, just being represented by broken people. In small stories, Lord, stories that can't contain us, and that might be in the realm of of politics, that might be in the realm of ethnicity, that might be in our nationality, that might be in the ideas that we have about the way the world should work apart from your holy scriptures, Lord. But Lord, we just confess before you that we're broken people and that we're prone to find belonging in stories that are too small to contain us. And we see, Lord, that it causes division and brokenness of all kinds. So if that's you, you can just pray that silently or you can move towards someone to pray for you. But you can stop struggling now. You don't have to find belonging anywhere except for Jesus. He is your king. Some of you younger people might be struggling with that at school, trying to belong to a group of people, trying to be seen in a certain way. And it's so heavy because you think it's up to you and you think your worth is tied to what other people think about you. But that's a broken story of the world. So, Lord, we confess these ways that we reject your true story. And, Lord, we ask that you would come, that you would make yourself known as we continue our worship. Lord, come and minister to us right now. Remind us of your true story. Meet us right where we are in this moment, God. And I'll invite you to to stand and um, the worship team's gonna play our final song and I'm gonna invite our prayer team to stay where they are and and maybe you weren't comfortable getting up um, during that time, but I wanna invite you as we're singing to feel free to move about the room, feel free to move towards someone. You don't have to walk alone. You don't have to live in a small story. You're invited to the biggest story possible, amen, amen.